Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 174. So we've got a great guest here tonight, Neil. Yes, sir. Today, tonight. We're used to recording at night, Jeff, so yeah. I just I just said that automatically. It just, like, flowed <laughs> That's out. That's all right. That's all right. He's like, it's 11 a.m. What the fuck? But we got, man, we, we've got, like, a legendary keyboardist, philanthropist, Renaissance oh, man. author, <laughs> marathon runner, theater, I mean, gosh, this this podcast could probably be five hours long, no. <laughs> but we won't. We won't I've keep done that some long things, yet. I guess. That's all right. <laughs> but man, we appreciate appreciate you being here with us. Oh no, I appreciate the invite. I was, I'm so used to just like you guys. I'm I'm so used to playing piano for other people and talking to other people and helping other people do things. I was like, they want to talk to me. No. <laughs> all right, well, that's okay. So no, this will be fun. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. And we ought to mention we're back at To The Moon Creative with Trent and Tom. And thanks to uh, Melissa Bollea Rowe at Ryan Partners. Is that right? Yeah. Said it perfect. Why do you always say I want to say that wrong? Because I don't know. It just always gets me. So I just figured <laughs> it might get you too. <laughs> All right, Jeff. So we're going to ask you to go way back, man. We're going to ask you to go back to childhood and share your early memories of music and like if there's a point or two that stands out of when you realized music was going to be a huge part of your life. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because I know you guys work with a lot of indie artists, which means that when you want me to go way back, it's way back further than a lot of times you have to go way back. <laughs> no, we've been back there uh, before, buddy. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, played piano as a kid, uh, as a child was not any kind of prodigy or anything like that. I The way it's always described to me is that um, as a kid, I was playing with my fingers and not my hands. I was not banging. I was finding things. Feeling. On purpose, mm. yeah. Um, At what age? What age are we talking here? Uh, three, four, five. Okay. Really I've, early, seen, yeah. I've seen early pictures, but it's not like I was playing songs. I was just, you know, pulling my fingers apart and not, just banging. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother had a piano. Um, poked around on that. Um, I think probably one of the the big in, biggest influences on me playing piano back then. And when I say back then, for the for the purpose of your listeners, this is three television channels, <laughs> no video games, maybe a handheld football yeah. game or something. Um, you know, a lot of TV shut off at midnight. Um, and I was a pretty severe asthmatic as a kid. So when I couldn't go to school and I couldn't breathe, reading, sitting down, playing the piano, that was a way to, to do something that I was capable of still doing when I couldn't function. You know, it's, you say, when you talk about Asthmatic. I remember growing up in a house where my dad had terrible asthma um, and my sister had terrible asthma. And you almost don't hear about it anymore. I don't know if it's something that's that's uh, uh, more controlled than it used to be or more medications. But well, I remember anytime we'd go to the lake, which is Nolan Lake in, in right. uh, Kentucky, uh, just outside of Litchfield, Edmondson County, um, that would be a fear. Is If somebody has an asthma attack, they might not make it to the hospital. Right. So... Kind of talk about that a little bit and having, you know, because I was never one that had episodes like that. There's not a lot you could do. There, You can't go outside and play when you are in a state if like you that. can't right? breathe. Yeah. 
So, so you had to kind of be stationary in times like that. Uh, so do you think that like lent to your curiosity of the piano or did, did you think you're, you had to find something to do or, you know, what, what was it about those isolation, those times during isolation when that you kind of, you know, fed that out a little bit? You know, I don't, I don't think the isolation fed the music so much. I think, I think that because we're trying to fill our time, yeah. you know, I mean, now we can just keep looking for more TV channels or download something or play video games. Those were not options. Yeah. I was just trying to fill the time. Huh. Now, I had an interest in music, certainly. Um, would I have had the same interest? I mean, I look at musically some of the things that you can do now you know, with a laptop and you can layer yeah. vocals and do, you're both musicians, I, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I think, man, I would have loved to have had those tools when I was a kid, but I would have also had all the other channels, all the other distractions. Yeah. So maybe I was better off back then with asthma and two cassette decks bouncing vocal parts between two cassette right. decks yeah. that made bad copies, but I was still able to learn how to build parts, how to do things. That's interesting. Um, I think what it, I think what asthma really did for me, um, I think it shaped my demeanor, meaning mm-hmm. um, I remember when I was in fourth grade and my teacher um, was wanting to send me home because she knew I had asthma that day. And I got tired of going home all the time for asthma because it was a lot. Yeah. Um, and I said, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. She said, no, I can tell that you are having an asthma attack because you're sitting with your shoulders up. And the reason you do that is because when your lungs are tight and constrained, normal people, they breathe, they lift their rib cage. They don't think about it. When, you're, when you have an asthma attack, your lungs are confined, so it's hard to lift your rib cage. So you lift your shoulders, that lifts your rib cage off your lungs, makes it easier to breathe. So I figured out that was my tell. So I would then learn if I'm having an asthma attack, I got to calm down. I got to calm down. I got to push my shoulders down so she won't see. I got to breathe slow so they won't hear me wheeze. And ultimately that just created or reinforced a tendency to not really get rattled a lot. I'm pretty chill most of the time. Um, Asthma, I didn't want to stop but I would have to slow down and I would have to be patient. Well, that comes in real handy in the music industry. Wow. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So how, that's my experience. How old it. were you when, when you were in, I mean, it's, you were in elementary school, I'm assuming, when you were going through those type of episodes when your teacher was spotting you going, hey, I'm going to send you home. Because I just can't imagine, like, the fortitude of, your, of, of a kid's mind to go, to, to train yourself. Because you're basically in some sort, giving yourself mental therapy. I mean, that's like going to think, calm down, breathe, take deep breaths. Well, that's true, but you got to remember, I wasn't trying to do it for those reasons. Trying to hide it. I was trying to hide what I was doing and not get caught. Which will send you to therapy. Isn't that interesting? You didn't know you were helping yourself. (laughs) Right, (laughs) exactly. I didn't didn't realize that's what I was doing. That was the benefit of it. But that's, but that was, but all that just to say, I mean, I had it pretty severely up into high school, um, but uh, but ultimately, 
that just meant I had a lot of downtime. Yeah. I was a good student. My grades didn't fall apart when I was gone. So I just had a lot of time that I could play at the piano and develop those skills. Um, did that as a kid. In high school, like in middle school, like everybody, I was from a small town. Um, I had to drive an hour and a half to go to a record store. So oh, that's a small town, dude. Yeah. Where, where is yeah, that? Back then, uh, Gainesville, Texas. It's right on the border of Texas and Oklahoma. Okay. So we would drive 80 miles to Dallas to go to a record store, to buy my first keyboard, to go see a concert. No kidding. Any of that. And I probably uh, was a highway, back roads, some back oh, roads. Oh, it was interstate, I 35. Oh, so straight it drove, shot. Yeah, it's straight. Straight shot runs all the way down from uh, Minnesota to oh, Mexico. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is a, yeah, yeah. there's a bunch of, so was that's one thing about driving west. You realize, like, you can hit a, a town and it says service station next uh, 72 miles. So the next and, services, yeah. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I can imagine in Texas there's a lot of that. Oh, yeah. I've never driven through. So during that time, then, if, if you're from that small of a town, mm-hmm. were you, uh, what what was your performing venues? Were you playing like through schools, or were you with local bands? You know, as you as you were getting a little older. Yeah, I I didn't do local bands because I didn't know anything about local bands. Okay. Um, I never sat down with a guitar player until I was in college. I went to really? college at Baylor University. Okay, and that just brought in people from bigger cities and at Baylor's Texas, right? Yes, yeah, man. Yeah. Come on, yeah. dude. Twenty twenty one basketball champs. Let's go. I know what you. <laughs> Got to educate you. Uh, you you got to take that. <laughs> yeah, he says. Uh, he still says stuff sometimes. You know, I just I learned. <laughs> I learned when I was. Sometimes. I learned when I was young to control my breathing and oh, settle yeah, myself yeah. down. Yep, and, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still. I'm still attempting. Still That's learning. Funny. <laughs> no, uh, to answer your question, small town meant I did everything that was available to do that was musical. Yeah, I mean choir programs, musicals, jazz band. Played for the choir, played at church, sang on street corners with my friends. Um, continued to do that in college with bigger things. My roommates in college, um, uh, musical productions with my fraternity. Never, to this day, never had a dream of doing music, being on award shows. What? Any yeah. of that stuff. I didn't. I Really? I... I liked working to make it better. Okay. And it, it wasn't fun for me to like phone it in, take shortcuts. Um, and because it, because it got better, I had other opportunities. So. so do you think that whatever you would have attacked would have, would have been the same thought process, if you would have become a mechanic or whatever it was, do you think it would always just be about improvement? Uh, or do you think that you would have eventually said, this isn't my path, I need to play music? You know, it, is it a thing of growth, no matter what it is, that, that, that entices you about a, a thing? Or do you think that music was the thing, you just landed in the perfect situation and rode that? Um... Gosh, I don't, I don't really know. I, um, it's, it's hard to know since music was always there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I certainly know that 
other people's opinions of what I was doing didn't really have relevance. Um, that's a that's a beautiful gift to have. Well, and you know, small town Texas, you know, Friday night football and all that. You're nine years old carrying piano books to your lesson. You learn real quickly that if if this is what you want to do, it's not going to be supported. Yeah. So I learned at that age, I'm down with this. They're not. I'm cool with that. I'll keep going. So, I mean, we all get influenced by stuff. I still get influenced by stuff, but I'm influenced less than I might be otherwise, just because I, I can still look back at that and kind of go, you know, I, you know, I wasn't completely wrong, you know, yeah. even though I didn't agree with everybody around me. All right. So, so. I, I, if you uh, somewhat stumbled into this, right? I mean, not, I don't, I don't see it that way because I don't think you end up uh, doing all the things that you've done, although it's so varied in all the things you've done that maybe you do. Um, but, you know, to, to number one, you have to be badass. If everybody's like, you know, continuing to throw opportunities and, and you're following this, this path, is there ever a point in your time where you thought, I would like to do this? Or, you know, because I've always remember having a dream of what I wanted to do when I was a kid. Uh, either music or baseball or blah or this or that. Right. Um, did you have that? Was there? Was there a? Because did you dream of being on stage when you were a thirty-five year old? Or no, no, that no. blows my mind. I I dreamed of getting better. I worked at getting better. And if you got better, and if your project succeeded, you would get to the stage. But I mean, watch an award show, man. There are people that you think dream of being on that stage. Grammy winners that dream of being on that stage, but they don't bother to learn the songs, the words to Hey Jude for the big closer at the end. They sing a piece of the chorus, then they hold the microphone down and put their arms around their neighbors because maybe their neighbors learned it. I mean, that wasn't fun for me. So if we did it well, we would move up and that would mean bigger stages, other opportunities, and all of that. But figuring out a way to get to the stage without developing the skill or whatever. I mean, it's no different for basketball or anything else. At some point, you know, you're getting up early, you're shooting free throws, you're doing all that stuff. You see your product getting better. Therefore, you know, playing with better teams, playing with better players, learning new skills that comes along and then you kind of start saying, Hey, if I put this together with these guys that agree with me, that are also doing it for the same and reason, we'll put in the work and right. do, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. love and work ethic. Is yeah. A big part of that. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Especially I could imagine, uh, it sounds like it just kind of, you kept, you kept doing your end, your part, learning, uh, getting better, being prepared and stuff just kind of laid out and for a path for you to follow. Does that make sense? It does. It does. My dad called me out on that one time um, early on. I don't remember who I was working for at the time, but I said something on the phone when I was talking to my dad about um, something coming along and how lucky I was that happened. And he was like, wait a minute. I carried all your gear with you in all these places. You stayed up four o'clock in the morning. You were lucky they called, but you were prepared when they called. Yeah. And we've all heard different versions of that. But 
I remember kind of getting called on the carpet for that. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's. That had to be an important thing for you to hear. I mean, coming from, you know, your dad, oh, sure. somebody who sure. had been there, made those 80 mile, you know, yeah, yeah, trips yeah. to Dallas and did all those things sure. for. Because, uh, you know, I think we all look for validation in, in everything that we do that that from music to, you know, this to work. And you want those affirmations that you're doing a good job. Um, and, and it always is important to get them in, in anywhere you can. But from the guy that, you know, you're telling, I got lucky. Yeah. For him, of yeah. all people, to say, no, man, let's let's just take a pause on that word because that's not the right word. Sure. Prepared is the word. That's, that has to be pretty awesome. Yeah. No, it's it's great. And. And that's, um, and that's one of the reasons, um, you know, I, I spent so many years as a player, as a musician, working with other people, making their songs better. Therefore, we got better opportunities with so many people saying to me, man, don't you wish you were the artist? Don't you wish you were the star? I'm like, I'm supposed to be unhappy doing what I'm doing at a, yeah. at a high level with some really talented folks, you're telling me I'm supposed to not be content with that because I'm not on front. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just not interested. I played right field in high school. Or, ah, you know, the guy, middle, he's the guy. Middle school and high school. <laughs> you know, I'm not getting all the action, but we can win or lose the game if I'm not where I need to be 100%. at a given moment. You yeah. know, 100%. it's no different than playing piano or, or anything else. See, playing music is that. It's the ultimate team sport. You yeah. know, the communication, communication without verbalization. It uh, should be the ultimate team sport. It should be. Yeah. It should be. It should be able to communicate with a look or with the feel or with, you know, uh, and, and support uh, all reaching for the same goal. And I think, you know, you kind of uh, hinted at that when you were talking. You don't have to be the guy because you're on this unit that is going to lift this artist up regardless of who isn't the front person. Right. Uh, if you don't do your job and the other person doesn't do their job and the uh, bass player and, you know, so on down the line, then it's all bad. Right. You know, and, and to have that mentality is the right mentality. I think it, to be able to just be a part instead of have to be the one. Yeah. So speaking of front man, somewhere along this journey, you, uh, you, came in to to meet somebody that ended up being a legendary front man. To kind of talk about that a little bit and how how that developed. So you're in yeah, college at Baylor. Was, what happens from there? Um well I'm I'm Do you know that's in Texas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh well I it you know, I clearly you're talking about the path of McGraw. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know I it's it's funny how in retrospect, things are still connected. I was playing in college. Um, I got through college. I played in a party band in college, but we didn't dream of doing anything. I might have three shows a semester. Um, graduated, got a call from one of my college buddies. They're putting a country band together. They need a keyboard player. Would I be interested? Sure. Um, he, uh, his name is Daryl Dodd. He's a singer-songwriter now in Nash in uh, Texas, very big in the Texas scene. Um, ultimately, he would write a couple of songs for Tim McGraw. Um, he had not at the time, but um, that would come back around later. Our bass player, who was a biology teacher, would come up later and produce records for Dirk Bentley and write a bunch of hits as well. Um, 
they were both at Baylor with me. Um, okay. Played in that band. That band turned into another band, which turned into another band. Eventually, those bands broke up and I moved to Nashville. Um, just trying to figure out what I was doing. Didn't dream of moving to Nashville. I came for a visit and I did a recording session with a guy while I was visiting. Hey, showed up on time. Good singer. The song's cool. I just wish you played piano because we need a piano player for my buddy. He just got left hanging high and dry because I didn't play on the session. And I was like, no, I can play. So that became my first job in Nashville. And then two years later, Tim McGraw, who has his first record um, at that time, but he didn't have any hits on it yet. He was looking for a new keyboard player. Um, I got recommended to him by somebody. He started asking around. He asked somebody at his apartment complex, do you know this guy? He's from Texas. That was Daryl Dodd, the guy from Baylor <laughs> that would write songs for him later. He said, oh, yeah, crazy. I know him. He's cool. He's fine, you know. Um, so I started working for Tim then. Uh, first record, no hits. Then he hired me. Then his career took off. Boom. So, there it was. So, so however you want to <laughs> put that together, yeah. Um, you know. You heard just, it here first. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying the timeline works. Look, so before, you look, before, before the meeting, he was living in an apartment. That's all I heard. Tim McGraw in an apartment. So yeah. after that, <laughs> yep. then he met he, this keyboard player. Yeah, he hadn't seen. <laughs> yeah. I met this guy Jeff, room. man. He ever since then, I don't know what happened. But my career took off. <laughs> uh, no, it was cool. I I jumped in just as um, they were getting ready to start a tour opening for Joe Diffie, who to me is still Joe one Diffie's of the, the baddest. Right, listen to him all the time. Still, yeah, yeah, Joe Diffie, um, and. Um, I'm still friends with the guy that played bass for Joe Diffie at the time, Keith Burns, who became the bass player for Trick Pony, who does his own things now. I mean, a lot of those Trick Pony. Oh, my gosh. I haven't heard that name in forever. (laughs) They were hot for a minute. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trick Pony. So there's a a lot of those people that I've kind of held on to and, and, um, you know, they, they talk about kind of, um, kind of finding your tribe of of people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm still in touch with Daryl Dodd. I'm, uh, you know, in fact, I just went to Billy Bob's um, with Chris Cagle, who I'm playing keyboards mm-hmm. with Chris now, um, who I met when he opened for Tim, which was a hilarious story. Um, you got time. But, uh, <laughs> um, but we just played at Billy Bob's and I saw the booking agent who booked we? Who booked um, me with my bar band with Daryl Dodd in the beginning, with Tim McGraw when we didn't have a hit, with Tim McGraw when we sold it out, with Chris K. I mean, you know, I mean, it was, uh, yeah. It's everybody's still, still hanging still around here, still yeah. doing the thing, huh? Yeah, that is so wild. Yeah. So, um, so once you when you got the gig, uh, moved here, you basically moved to Nashville and been here ever since from Texas. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. pretty much. I mean, certainly some of those years I was gone. Yeah. Yeah. On I mean, the road, hitting, doing Yeah. Thing. We did, you know, I want to say we did 
250 shows in 1994 with McGraw from February to December. I think one of those was at the Louisville Motor Speedway before they tore it down up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, probably was. <laughs> I think uh, Tim was still an Indian outlaw in those days. And uh, what was yeah, the other one? What was yeah? Don't take the girl. We listed that on the way up. I was like, oh my gosh! Oh, that was that was a huge year. It was. That was yeah. It was um, huge. Indian outlaw. Don't take the girl was his first number one. Don't take the girl was uh, down on the farm. Crazy. Um, which, um, you know, was, I think that was a number two, not a moment too soon was a number one refried dreams at the end of that year. I mean, how, how, how was that? <laughs> I mean, how was that for you? You know, a guy that, you know, you never had dreams of, of being a part of something like that. You just loved music. You worked hard at getting better. And then now here you find yourself in the middle of this scene where you're working with, a a band and a artist yeah. that's not not only making number one hits on country but crossing mm -hmm. over into pop charts and you know how was that time for um, you? well you get pretty isolated when you're in the middle of it because you're moving from one venue to another you know and then back on the bus so you do see more and more people show up well I say you, you see more and more people Tim to his credit I don't think he canceled any dates that year. That's crazy. Um, which means that um, a lot of people, when they blow up like that, they will cancel the little dates and go do big stuff. Yeah. He didn't do that. So we definitely saw the clubs fill up. Yeah. But we didn't see blowing up from a club to an arena because we he didn't cancel his dates. Yeah. You know, which was great. That's, yeah. Um, it made me like him just a little bit more. So I saw I saw that. Um, now, the perspective I had on it at the time would have certainly been different if I had been 17, playing in a band, yeah. had aspirations of doing that for a living. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. I was 30 with a college degree, um, having had real jobs, having worked hard jobs that are harder than setting up gear. I mean, I cleaned up construction sites in high school. I mean, I, you know, I did hard you work. So, before, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I I wasn't uh, devoid of that experience. I, I knew. We're naive to the opportunity that right. was at hand. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of cases, it's probably you're 17. Do you end up alive at the end of a run like that? 250 shows moving on from, there's a, I think that's a lifestyle that you're not, especially for fellas. I, I don't know how, you know, I know we mature way later than females. Um, I don't know if you're, you can handle that at a young age. I don't think anybody's capacity is set up for something like that, whether it be the the guy out front or the girl out front or anybody in the band to be on a 250-date tour right. is <laughs> mind-blowing. Right. You know, comedians talk about going on runs where they get a month here and then they can take three weeks to a month. That's not, you're not sure. talking about that. You're on the road. No. You're road-dogging. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not organized Ugh. because it's not routed because it, everybody in the country doesn't know you're worth booking yet. Yeah. So Jeez. you get called from Virginia and then Oklahoma oh, wow. and then back in West Virginia and you're just <laughs> taking crazy. it. You got to get big before they kind yeah. of, before it all makes sense. Yeah, for the but logistically. But to your point, you were, uh, you said something about marathoning. You know, because yeah. I've run some marathons along the way. Is that is that with the uh, is that part of the Tug McGraw Foundation work you do or? I I was already running marathons and okay. then 
wound up doing that, using that with that. Combining the two. But again, that was, that was just like the music thing. I ran as a kid to strengthen myself because of the asthma. I ran on the road because I knew that this is going to be hard. And if I go ahead and just start training and I make that a part of my day, I've got a better chance of surviving this crazy business. And if I keep doing a little more, doing a little more, getting a little better, getting a little better, holy mackerel, I think I could run a marathon. I wonder. Mm -hmm. So I go do it. And then, now that's oversimplifying it a little bit, but it's it's not a lot different. At least my approach to it wasn't very much different. Yeah. I like the way you know what Jeff is. Yeah, he's he's kept his he's kept his humility as a humble person, but man, he seems like he's good at everything he does. Yeah, (laughs) even thinking. You're even good at thinking, man. I'm not good. Your brain works. We we haven't even got into you know writing writing some chapters and some books and you know theater roles. Right? There's a lot of other things. Uh, Yeah. You know. (laughs) I've got I've got two comebacks. So uh, earlier we kind of talking about being isolated with the asthma. And I was thinking, it got me thinking because you were talking about not having a lot to do back in the day. Right. Even when I grew up, there just wasn't much to do. Right. We just went through a pandemic where kids were locked down. Um, A lot lot with stuff to do, but still got bored of the TikToks and stuff like that. I wonder how many took the opportunity to dig into something other than like a social media or... You know, because you are anytime you think about the world and where we're heading, you kind of it's like, oh, the world's burning. You know, it's, well, we, it's, we know from this podcast in the music world that a lot of recordings came out during COVID. Sure, people. <laughs> so, sure. My hope is that we had, you know, kids like like when you were isolated back then that would just put a little bit of focus on music because I think. It'll, it, it could lead to something interesting in, you know, 10 years to see what type of stuff comes out. Who started learning in COVID and, and stayed with it and, and where that led. Even like isolating, isolated thinking where that kind of leads musically for some of these kids. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, interesting I, can, I can tell you I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I was. I was, um, you know, I'm, I'm not retired. I'm not in a position to retire. But when everything closed and everything went online, um, I've stayed very plugged in with a lot of independent artists. Mm-hmm. You know, some, I'm sure some of them are people that you guys have interviewed and stuff. Um, and they didn't know how to do a live stream. They didn't know how to make a graphic. I couldn't quit. We can relate. <laughs> you know, is, is that when this started for you guys? Yeah, yeah about we, a year before. We, yeah, okay. we expanded to remote podcast and video podcast. You know, it kind of forced us into, into different. Matter of fact, I think Melissa roads. might have been one of our first, first remotes. Remote, and so. so she's been yeah. with us. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. Thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was during that time that. You know, people were doing interviews online. All of that was happening, playing songs on Zoom and mm-hmm. all of that. And um, I couldn't retire, but I was not paycheck to paycheck. And yeah. a lot of these indies that are 20 years my junior were. Mm-hmm. So I was learning all that stuff or using what I already knew to help them do those things. And um, release music, do interviews, graphic design, all of those things. Um, I got better at those skills 
I was doing it for free for a lot of them, mm-hmm. but it kept me sane yeah. and it kept me productive. And, um, and as a result of that, I saw where I, th- I thought some people were doing things right. I got really frustrated where I felt people were like, again, taking shortcuts, you know, uh, people that are going on podcasts performing, but they didn't have their music dialed in or they, or the podcast wasn't promoting them or whatever was going on. And, um, which eventually led me to kind of go, yeah, I'm tired of being mad at what they're doing. What if I take some of these new things that I learned during that shutdown, because I kept learning, Mm -hmm. um, and apply them, which kind of led into, you know, one of my current projects. So, which is, yeah, I was going to say, before we wrap up this conversation, let's hear about what's going on with you. Well, it's, it's, um, I just launched a podcast about, uh, the first episode dropped a week ago. Hey, congratulations. Thanks. Awesome. Um, what's it called? uh, It's called McMahon on Keys, which is me. Hey, Hey. It, it, it's, um, and to me, it just kind of made sense, but it took a long time to figure out how to get to the place where it made sense. Um, I kind of see there's, I mean, you you guys are the exception to what I see a lot of because I see a whole lot of people that want to be involved in the business, but they don't understand anything about it. And then they interview newbies that don't know any better. So they don't wind up with a really great product all the time. And then there's people that have done it for 30 years that want to talk to other people that have done it 30 years. You guys, and I haven't listened to a bunch of it, but I mean, you understand enough about the industry to... Uh, recognize if somebody is prepared because you understand how guitars work and how you have to prepare and what you have to do and what's involved in the studio. I've heard some of those conversations for you. In fact, I got to show you this. Um, (laughs) But, um, but there's not a lot of that. Um, So, you know, I have some experience that, that people didn't share with me when I was getting started. I still want to talk to people that have done things, you know, you know, maybe they've already had hits and stuff, but, um, I also have a lot of interest in, you know, sending the elevator back down to people that, um, might have more potential if they just knew they were stepping over dollars looking for dimes. Mm. Um, so we're having some of those conversations with independent artists um, that I'll learn from because they're younger artists. They'll learn some stuff from me, maybe. And then we're doing a performance as a part of it. Um, but we're actually filming the performance, recording it for real. I'm playing piano on all the performances. Nice. Oh, yeah. Just as a, as a way to make them, you know, something exceptional to what they're already doing and to make sure that it doesn't fall apart oh, with a bad killer. Wi-Fi connection. That's so, killer. So, yeah. So it'll be fun. I like the idea of, uh, you know, send the elevator back down, as you say, because one question that I was going to kind of ask, you know, when I referenced you moving from Texas to being here as long as you have, and even though you're gone, every time I pull in Nashville and I referenced it on the way down, there is like 28 cranes. This place is growing <laughs> at a yeah. massive level. Uh, it's growing up in, in downtown. It's growing out everywhere else. Right. Um, how is... How has that shifted the dynamic? Because, it, you know, anytime we walk on down the street in, in 
there's the open bars at, you know, 12. You can listen to the musicians. They're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the next. You The players are everywhere. So I don't know if there's a bunch of what you're doing. You know, sending the elevator back down and, and doing trying to lift those those kids because it's mostly 20-year-olds, 30, 25-year-olds that have big dreams and big eyes and, you know, uh, maybe don't have a plan. Just, I'm going to go play the bars down. How do you see, number one, the evolution of, of Nashville as a town? Uh, and number two, it, the community of musicians. I, I don't, we're not from here, so I don't understand if it's cutthroat or if it has changed in any way from when you walked in and we're getting people saying, hey, well, you know, here's Jeff. He plays keys. Try him out. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, there's, I don't think it's changed that much just because I think there's, I think both exist. I mean, I, you know, I went to see a writer's round yesterday um, at Third and Lindsley, which is in Nashville, um, with a guy that's written a bunch of number ones. He did some tour dates when I was with Tim McGraw back in the 2000s. You know, he immediately runs up and gives me a big hug. Um, he was on the round. Uh, Mark Irwin was on the round who wrote Highway Don't Care. I've known him for 30 years. Um, at the same time, uh, a young lady, Maddie True, was with me, who's a new artist that I'm, you know, working with a lot, who's, you know, terrific. We've got, you know, some new music out on her. You know, she very much appreciates the old school stuff. Um, they embraced her. She embraced them. Somebody might say, oh, well, I'm not interested in talking to them. They don't, they don't have a million people on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not what she values. Some of her peers do. Yeah. But, you know, the people that I'm working with on building the podcast, our videographer was an intern at the record label when I was working there seven years ago. We shot his first video project together and he borrowed a camera. <laughs> you know, the guy that runs audio is much younger than me, plays fiddle with other people. So they're not from my old school version, but they still have a lot of the old school thoughts, which is why they are in my orbit. Oh, that's, you know, makes sense. So I, I, I definitely think there are, uh, uh, I think it's a little different when you're talking about the players downtown. I would disagree that everybody down there is not good. Yeah, um, yeah you, you know, see more than me. Or or maybe they're good, but they're all playing a lot of the same songs. You, you can get, that. I heard somebody, you you talked to somebody, I forget who it was, but you talked to somebody talking about how you can get stuck yeah. down in Nashville playing on the road because you wind up with all the visitors and they're tipping and they want to hear Charlie Daniels and all that. And that's great but you wind up making money and high fives, yeah. but you're not developing your music. Like you're growing, not, evolving, you know, yeah. You know, that's not the case for everybody, but it's, you, you really got to hold it together mm. when you do that, yeah. you know? And that's one of the things that's great about, you know, now I'm working with Chris Cagle, who um, had some big hits. I was not aware of how big his hits were because I was playing Huge. Tim McGraw songs. Mm-hmm. At the time. Um, but he called me like a year ago. He's been retired for seven years. So I know stuff about the current state of things that he hasn't dealt with yet. But he understands the old school stuff still sounds great. You know, we're, you know, 
everything's growing. Um, he still has the old school mentality, but we're also able to kind of look at some things through some new lenses. So um, it's kind of a mix of both, you know. That's never a bad thing. Cool. And I get to go make new music instead of tell you about my letter jacket that I got back when I was <laughs> playing for Tim, <laughs> which is awesome. But, you know, I'm still in the game. What'd you have down there? You yeah, said before you, need you to show yeah, us. Yeah, before you, we uh, okay. check out here, man. Well, you know, I'm a little saltier than some of the folks you've had in here, probably. <laughs> but I heard you guys talking about, you know, Uh-oh. well, you were talking about this. And I just want you to know that when American Blonde were three and four years old, uh oh, this was center stage. <laughs> hey, yeah, <laughs> this was on stage. Maybe I called it for <laughs> Tim McGraw. We closed the show every night for a number of tours with the Joker. Oh, uh, Steve Miller. Serious. Let's hear it. And, uh, well, it. now you can see this guy's not in very it good shape anymore. It's like some of the keys it's, don't work anymore. Well, but I have two. <laughs> I have two because it was a big part oh, of the show. Okay. So this this one was the where we robbed parts from. Okay. For the All other right. one. So, and I was not so willing was missing to. missing some uh, guts, huh? I was not. I love you guys. But I was not going to keep digging for the other one. I, I called this done. Hey, that's perfect, but, man. Uh, that is a classic. I, I like that one yes. better. It looks like it's lived life. So, and I love American Blonde, but I'm just going to jump in front of the line. I'm going to say, before there was American Blonde, there this, was guy, there was this guy was on a country stage. <laughs> so That's phenomenal, I man. I thought you were going to play the Joker for us. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We got enough Jokers in here. <laughs> So, Jeff, our, our listeners that want to, to find you and Chris and the things you have going on now, McMahon on Keys, where can they find you? Yeah. Um, uh, most of my personal stuff is McMahonSays.com, M-C-M-A-H-O-N says, S-A-Y-S. Uh, the podcast is McMahon on Keys. Uh, it's on Spotify. It's on Subscribe to that, would Apple, you? All of those yeah. things. Um, and we do have a video version that's on YouTube. We are filming it. So... Um, yeah, we've got one episode so far, but we've got a lot more come and a lot shot. We actually just shot an interview uh, that we'll be sharing soon with American Blonde, who was on oh, your show. Awesome. Okay, awesome. cool. Um, thank you, Melissa, for uh-huh. putting that together. So are you going to, is it going to be weekly? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah. Awesome. As you know, and I, I probably should like hit you up, hit you guys up later. Um, I thought I had a grip on what I was doing, and then I launched my first episode, and it's been like whack-a-mole, where, <laughs> where it's like, oh, I need that for that one, and that for that one, and all these things are floating up. But yeah, it's it's fun, and we've shot some great performances, so we're looking forward to sharing them. Awesome. We definitely don't have it figured out. No. <laughs> no. Well, guys, you, you're, you're doing great. I, I've, I've listened to a, a number of the episodes, and I'm looking forward to to going back and and checking out more of them. Um, So it's... uh, We appreciate that. And we appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. Oh, no. Hey, I'm not used to being on this end of the of the rope so that's 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 good i appreciate it you know a lot of people don't want to interview me sometimes they they find sometimes that i'm harder and harder to love so <laughs> so <laughs> so 
I'm glad that you guys were willing to give me a, a break. Hey, we give everybody a chance, man. We don't care yep. what anybody else says about yep. you. Yep. Harder and harder to love. You guys harder to love. Look it up on Spotify. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Awesome, man. That was awesome. Yeah. Good job. Thank you, brother. Oh, you're great. welcome. That was great.